Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. Lord, we want to bless you and thank you that you are our God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the maker and creator of all things, the first and the last. Father, we want to know you. We want to know your ways. We want you to speak into our hearts. We declare our need of you. Father, come amongst us and open our lives to you this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, we started to look at the prophet Elijah. And we looked just a little bit about how he came on the scene. If you want to know where he's to be found, it's to be found in 1 Kings. 1 Kings, chapter 17. And as we read 1 Kings 17, we suddenly find that this guy bursts on the scene. Even last week I was saying, in actual fact, if you've been reading through your Bible and you've been going through the book of Kings, you're reading through various passages that are talking about the kings of Israel and Judah and what they have been doing. So it gives a bit of a historical background to the whole history of Israel. And as you're reading chapter 16, you're reading about Ahab, who'd just been made king of Israel, the northern part of the, of the two sections of Israel. And so he'd just been made king, and then suddenly as we turn over to chapter 17, he's suddenly telling us about Elijah. And we're looking at the fact, well, who is this guy? Where did he come from? Why has he suddenly burst onto the scene? Why is he suddenly there? So last week, we tried to gain a little bit of an understanding about that. What we understood is that Elijah himself had really come to a point similar to what Barack Obama does. He gives a one year, once a year, he gives a state of the Union address. In actual fact, the president of the European Union gave a state of the Union address as far as Europe was concerned only this week. And in those two uh, statements, or in those two uh, encounters, as it were, with the nation, the leader of the nation, or the leader of a union, is bringing people together and they're saying, okay, this is what's going on. This is how it is. So as far as Barack Obama is concerned, he would be giving an address about the economic situation of the United States, the unemployment situation, what's going on, some of the things that they're doing, the general outlook and the well-being and what they're accomplishing as a nation is being presented before them. The president of the Economic Union this week had rather more of a tough case on his hands because he was trying to explain how they were going to sort out the problems of Greece, how they were going to make sure that all the money was going to come together, and in truth things are not looking too good as far as that's concerned because economically still across Europe the financial markets are not declaring they have confidence in what is going on so we've got a way to go on that but there's an understanding of what a state of the union address is and as we come to this prophet Elijah it's almost as though he has been doing the background work of the state of the union of the nation of Israel what the situation was across the tribes, especially the ten tribes that had gathered in the northern part of the country. He was giving a state, but not just the state of the economy, not just the state of how finances were going, or whether there was much unemployment, or whether things were looking good in terms of the grain growing industry, or the sheep rearing industry, or that sort of thing. He had come to give a state of the union address in terms of the people of their spiritual condition before God. And so Elijah as a man had undergone a process in himself between him and God. The Holy Spirit had been working upon him. And he had come to a point of recognizing what the state of the union was amongst the tribes of Israel. And these are the things that he noticed. He noticed this, that they had a form of religion, but they were not really connecting with God. He noticed that the old government administrations that they had been under had been well, actually not very good as far as God was concerned, but now they were coming into a new government administration and it was even worse than the one that they'd had before. But finally, he also noticed that the general public, the general people of Israel, they did not know who God was. There was confusion. There was corruption. How had this happened? It had happened because previous kings, previous administrations had started to walk away from the ways of God. And we heard about Jeroboam, Jeroboam who had been made king of the northern tribes when there was a separation from Jerusalem and the tribes were going their two ways. He had decided, oh my goodness, if we send people down to Jerusalem, they're going to go down to the southern king. I need to support myself and what's happening here, 
Israel, here are your places of worship. And he creates these golden calves and he settles them in two places in the north, saying to people, you don't need to do what God has asked you to do. Look, I'm going to make it easier for you. Come up to Bethel. Come and worship here. And he had established these things. He also changed some of the religious feasts. And things had started to go down. Now we had come into the new administration of Ahab, King Ahab. New king, new start. We're going to press through here. Things are going to look good. But it wasn't the case because Ahab in his own heart had said, it doesn't matter what Jeroboam has done. We don't need to undo those things. What we're going to do is we're going to do more things because we want to make our nation successful. We want to make people happy. We want people to enjoy life. And he enters into a relationship, a marriage relationship with the daughter of a guy who is well into Baal worship. So he marries Jezebel, he forms this alliance with, he, with them, and then into the nation. Not only are we seeing people move away from the purposes of God and doing the things in the way that God had prescribed them to do, but now they were starting to serve Baal. Indeed, Ahab built a temple to Baal. He builds an altar to Baal. And they are now worshipping Baal in the nation. What was the state with the people? Because that was the former things that the governments had been doing and what the government was doing now. But the issue that Elijah had also made note of was this. The general public did not know God. And in 1 Kings 18, in the following chapter, we read this. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? What were those two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. So he made this declaration before the people to say, come on, folks, it's time for you to awaken. Who is the God that you're serving? And when we looked back to understand a little bit about this Baal God, we discovered that Baal and Asherah, ultimately, in our society, we would describe it like this, the worship of ourselves. Making sure that we're all right. Making sure that I'm looked after. Making sure that, hey, I've got enough pleasure. I'm being contented. Life is going easy for me. Making sure that, yeah, if I feel like I want to be spirit, uh, sexually free, I can do that. As long as it doesn't harm anybody else, what's good for me is good for me. Now, in a moral environment where we know the Ten Commandments and we know the things of God, does that sound like straying off? Well, well yeah, God says we shouldn't commit adultery. God says that we shouldn't do all of these things, but, but it's what our society does, isn't it? It's what my neighbours are doing. It's what... And we find, you see, the system is utterly corrupt. But people are living in the system, but they do not know that it's utterly corrupt. So when Elijah is challenging the people, because he's now before the general public, and they're gathered there, and he says to them, How long? How long? Are you going to waver between two opinions? I want you to be a decisive people and know who you're serving. Not a dualistic people that are doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and trying to make happiness for themselves. If God, if Yahweh is God, then serve him. But if Baal is God, then serve him. Choose. So he's making this declaration and we find this agony. The people are silent. They don't know what to think. They don't know. They've lost it. They've lost the edge. They've lost the determination. They've lost the passion. They don't know who they're serving. Well, well which one? Shall I, I, yeah, I, I, like, I like Yahweh. I like God. He's good. He's done good things. But I really like serving myself. If I, if I go that, this is tearing. If I go that way, I've got to give up this. And I, I don't want to give up the Asherah. I don't want to give up the Baal. I don't want to hurt myself. I don't want to surrender anything. I want those in my life. Hey, can we not have both? You see, Elijah had taken consideration of the spiritual state of the nation. And this was the state of Israel at that time. Before God, Elijah had had the revelation that before God, this was an utter abomination. 
an utter abomination. He had come to realize in his heart what the truth was. The people were far from God. Now we will come to the outworking of him in that situation a little bit later. That sets a little bit of the scene of what we want to look at today. Though we were looking at background, we were looking at the background of what actually Elijah had come to. Today I want to look more at Elijah himself, and I want to look at it under this heading. Elijah, what was he like? Elijah, what was he like? Now at the end of last week, we began to break in upon this subject. Elijah, what was he like? Point one, a man just like us. In James 5, verses 17 and 18, we read of James writing a little bit about Elijah, and he writes this, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So what we are being presented with here, when we're asking the question, Elijah, what was he like? We discover that first of all, he was a man just like us. The impression that James is giving to us is, Elijah, and I don't know what impression you've got in your mind, because you know the story of how he called down fire, a guy that's calling down fire from heaven, from God, and it wasn't even with a lengthy prayer. He just said a few words and the fire of God came and consumed his sacrifice. A guy like that, can he possibly be like us? But James is declaring to us that the starting point, the initiation of the calling of God upon this man, Elijah, was that he was just a regular guy. He didn't live in a fancy town. He lived in a small village in the north. He came from this place. They've even noticed his, noted his village down, probably because it was so small it wasn't readily recognized. Look, he's from a nowhere place. Are you from a nowhere place? Are you from a background that people think is just like, whoa, that's too ordinary? Haven't you got blue blood in you? Aren't you part of some sort of, you know, strong, even though slightly distant, you're connected to the royal family or something like that? How, how many famous people are there in your family line? Well, I'm talking more recently, not like 350 years ago or something like that. What sort of credentials are we looking for? What sort of credentials are we expecting? How do we hold these people who are men of God? How do we hold them up before God? Are we looking at people and there are people that we admire, we read their books and we're encouraged by what they have to say and we're thinking about what they have to say and we say, gosh, I wish I could be like that. And you might be reading or you might be watching on TV somebody like Joyce Meyer or some of these other people and you think like they've got great ministries. You might be reading about Mother Teresa and the things that she has done. You might be reading about all sorts of evangelists and people and you think like, oh, if only. The declaration that I have for you this day is this, the beginning place of a man or woman of God is that they are Mr. or Mrs. Ordinary. 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 It's not about degrees. It's not about how much you've learnt or how much you know. It's about coming into relationship with the one whose name is Almighty. That is what it's about. And so the first thing that James is talking to us here, he's saying, listen, men and women of God, it's great to have aspirations for what others have done. When we look at men and women who've gone before us, women who've opened up nations, you think of Jackie Pullinger and the work that she did in the walled city in Hong Kong. It has become famous for its stories of the things that she did there and how she saw drug addicts being healed and set free from their addiction to heroin and breaking and changing that society, which has changed. And getting the Chinese government to know that. And many other men and women who've done great things in God. Listen, don't keep looking at them and wishing you were going to be like them. Look to God and cry out to him to make you into the person he has called you to be. Because he has purposes 
for every one of us. And the purposes of God are this, that we turn our nation upside down, that the people who do not know God come to know God through us. Therefore, regular, ordinary people are who we are. And we are the basis of what Almighty God wants to use as his starting material. Nobody here, nobody here is able to discount themselves from the work that God is able to do. Have you ever heard of the evangelist D.L. Moody? He was an American. He was very famous. He was living back at the beginning of the 1800s, 1830s, or that sort of thing, up towards the 1900s. He started off in America. He was just a shoe salesman, a young man who was just a shoe salesman. He, became to know, he came to know God. Later on in his life, in fact, in the later part of the, eight, uh, of the 1800s, he came to the UK with a guy called Ira Sankey. And Sankey would sing his hymns, moving hymns, some of which we would even still sing today. And after he had sung, Moody would preach. And Moody's preaching affected this nation. He was a great man of God. But let me read this to you. Dwight L. Moody was a poorly educated, unordained shoe salesman who felt God's call to preach the gospel. Early one morning, he and some friends gathered in a hayfield for a season of prayer, confession, and consecration. His friend Henry Varley said, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Moody was deeply moved by these words. He later went to a meeting where Charles Spurgeon was speaking. In that meeting, Moody recalled the words spoken by his friend. The world has yet to see, with and for and through and in, a man. Vali meant any man. Didn't say he had to be educated or brilliant or anything else, just a man. Well, by the Holy Spirit in him, D.L. Moody decided he would be one of those men. Now, I read that and I think, isn't that great? Here's a guy who was tremendously successful for God. But here's a guy, when we read this, he wasn't really quite sure. He was working things through. He wanted to do things for God. What's in your heart? Do you want to do things for God? Well, from what was said to Moody, the world has yet to see, the world has yet to see what people who were attending Bromley Town Church on the 2nd of October, being encouraged to hear that God calls regular, ordinary folk and fills them with his spirit to do extraordinary deeds the world has yet to hear what God is going to do with the history of our lives. And we need to take that on board. We need to be strengthened by that. So what was Elijah like? Elijah was the type of man who was prepared to forget who he was, but instead allow God to be who he is, but through him. That's what he was. The same power that flowed in Elijah's life let me just repeat that. The same power that flowed in Elijah's life can flow in our lives. Why can I be so confident about that? Because it wasn't Elijah's power. Elijah was a vehicle through which God's power is able to come. Who is able to send fire from heaven? God. Where is our trust to be? In God. Where is our hope to be? In God. But we need to be clean. We need to be consecrated. We need to be given over to him. We need to be available for him that he can come and work through us. So what was Elijah like? He was a man. I won't say he was a woman, but if anybody's feeling left out, you'll understand what I mean. He was somebody who was just an average sort of person. Secondly, what was Elijah like? He was a man who prayed. Now, we started out here by announcing how he was just a regular sort of guy. But we need to understand that though he's a regular guy, his life began to have a certain look about him. 
Because you see, what we preach in church is that we have regular, ordinary people who can come to Jesus, which they can. But having come to Jesus, our lives need to start to make the hallmark, start to show the hallmark of that relationship with Jesus Christ upon us. It starts to show. It must show. Otherwise, we're going to be looking at Elijah and we're going to say, a regular guy, a regular guy. No real difference between any other regular guy. But that wasn't the case. What we hear here is that he is a regular guy, but he prays. In fact, it doesn't just say he prays. It says he prayed earnestly. Earnestly. So he is a man of prayer. But you know what? If we were to take a straw poll across the nation, ask anybody, do you pray? Whether the church attenders or not, do you pray? A lot of people. I would actually almost go to say everybody at some stage would say, I have prayed. I have prayed to God. When we go out on the streets uh, with the street pastors, often we hear tales of people who are definitely not, that I'm aware of, churched people. Their church is more the pub. That's their place of meeting. That's their regular home. That's the place where they sing their worship songs and where they dance their worship music, as it, to their worship music, in those places. But they still say, hey, I pray. And when they find out we're from the church, they want to tell us sometimes about the things that they're praying for. See, so average people pray. So although Elijah was an average man, there was a certain look about his life. He prayed, and he prayed earnestly. Now, I could ask the question, do we pray? Everybody else is going to, yeah, we pray. Oh, let me ask you another question. Do you pray earnestly? What do you mean? What does it mean to pray earnestly? What is all that about? How, what, you know, sometimes I pray seriously. Sometimes I pray strongly. Earnestly? What, what, what do you mean by praying earnestly? And this is a hallmark of his life. So let us look at the hallmark of his life. Firstly, earnestly. Earnestly means with serious intention, purpose or effort, sincerely zealous. Can you see? Praying earnestly means there is a real kick behind it. There's a passion. There's an announcement that I am here to do business with God. I am here. I am zealous. I am earnest. I have a purpose. I am doing this with a serious intention. Is that how we pray? Or have we got to a point where we are very fluid? Yeah, yeah. I pray at the bus stop. I pray in the car. I pray on the train. I pray at home. I'm a bit fluid. I'm just doing these things. Fluid is not what I'm talking about. I could not pray effectively and earnestly like I believe Elijah was praying in a train carriage, I can make communion with God. Oh, yes. I can have encounters with God. Oh, yes. So I'm not denying that. But when we're talking about praying earnestly, earnestly has a look about it. The Bible says when we pray, you go into your closet, you close the door, your Father who is in heaven sees what you are doing and he will answer your prayers. There's a sense in which you are being set apart. There's a sense in which you are coming away from. There's a sense in which you are giving time to this earnestness in prayer. Elijah was a man who was earnest. We see that to be earnest, you need to be gripped by something. People get passionate about their hobbies. People get passionate about their football team. I was in a meeting yesterday where a guy was from Liverpool. So he calmly comes up to the front and says, in front of all these people from London, he says, yeah, the greatest football team in England is Liverpool. And he was giving it a load of this sort of positive and passionate, and everybody was, you know. And there was all sorts of different responses from the people, from the guys that were in the meeting. Because obviously, uh, Liverpool, rubbish. And all of that sort of thing. People get passionate about the things that are on their heart. Now, I know this, for us to be passionate, for us to be earnest in prayer, there needs to be something to anchor our prayer on. When there hits a disaster, as it were, to your family, a crisis to your family, a crisis at work, when you're suddenly taken into the boss's office and he says to you, look, Things are not being good. You know the economic climate. You know what's going on around here. You know the state of the nation as it is today. Well, on the back of that, you're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the back of that, uh, I have no choice. I've got to make redundancy. And you are second on my list. Do you walk out of there 
numbed? Does that provoke you when you get home to go to God in prayer? Of course it does. Why? Because there is a focus. You have a focus now. I need God. Something has to change. When there's a crisis with a young child that's born, and we've experienced this here before now, one of the couples who had a baby here, suddenly they were sick in hospital. Does that word go around the church quickly? Are people saying, please pray, pray for this little one? But it's not just them, is it? It's our brothers, our sisters. My family matter to me. Your family matter to you. Your mums and dads. When you suddenly hear that mum's sick or mum's been taken to hospital, hey, what's all that about? And -and so-and-so's got cancer. There's a new focus. For us to actually focus our prayer, to get earnest in prayer, there needs to be something that is drawn to our attention. Now, when I look at Elijah, I see here is a guy. Something had gripped him. Listen, we give our hearts to all sorts of things. We give our hearts to many, many things in life. We give our hearts incredibly to pleasure. We give ourselves to make sure that we get what we want because we've worked hard for this money. I've worked all week for this. We have arguments in home sometimes where mum's been looking after the kids and dad comes in and dad declares, you don't know how hard I have been working. And mum wants to scream at him because she says, work? You call that work? I've been with these kids all week. And if ever there's a change in role, I think we do understand some of those things. But we look after ourselves, we make sure we're okay, we make space for the things that we give our priorities to. We will find time for the things that we want, even in a busy diary. You put a series of meetings, we've got the conference next week. How busy are you next week? Listen, how important to you is the growth of your spirit, is the development of your spiritual life? I want to challenge you that next week at this conference, you will be challenged, you will be awakened, you will receive something from the Word of God. I want to encourage you to be there. But, uh, you know, every night you're having a laugh. I haven't got time for that. There's not an insistence that people come. I just want to raise the challenge in our hearts of what our thinking is. The things that we do, the way that we treat ourselves or the way that we treat God. What I know is this, that something had really deeply touched Elijah's heart to such an extent that he prayed earnestly. Now James tells us the subject of his earnest prayer because James said Elijah was a man just like we are. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. He prayed, the focus of his prayer was to say, God, shut the heavens to the rain. Now, do you think he just said that once? God, I've got an idea. Shut the heavens to the rain. Right. In fact, he said that on the cab on the way to work. Do you think that's going to do? Listen, Elijah had come to a point where he had wrestled earnestly with God. And he'd come to a point where he heard from God that the heavens would be closed to the word of Elijah, an ordinary man on earth. Wow. Wow. You know what had touched Elijah? The state of his nation had touched him. Now, as I was writing this, I broke down into Because this is the truth. And this is where this man starts to give us insight. Elijah was a man just like us. But he was operating on a completely different level. He'd seen the state of his nation. But the thing about Elijah wasn't the fact that he could call down fire from heaven. The thing about Elijah was that he understood the heart of God. That's the thing. You see, when we take a look out over the United Kingdom, we see church groupings in towns. You can come to a town like Bromley. You walk from one mile out in any direction, all the way in that mile radius, 
you'll find at least 20 churches, people worshipping God. So you'd say to Bromley, well, Bromley's fine. Bromley's got churches. <laughs> Take your choice. All sorts of different types. All different types of music, worship styles, preaching styles, buildings, all different types. You've got fine. Bromley is sorted religiously, yes. Where is the presence of God in our town? Where is the fear of God amongst the people? If you were to get the people gathered together in the high street and you would say to the people, right, now who do we serve? Do you serve Yahweh, the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, or do you serve Baal and Asherah? Which one are you going to serve? People would say, well, we don't honestly know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yahweh, who's he? We don't even know the name. It's a funny name, isn't it? Yahweh, of course, is one of the name that Moses heard from God. When Moses says, who shall I say has sent me? God said to him, tell them that I am has sent you. And the Hebrew for that is put down and expressed in letters of Yahweh. That is who that is. People of Bromley would say, well, well, who do you serve? What do you mean serve? We don't serve anybody. We just live life. No understanding of the spiritual climate. No understanding of Yahweh. No understanding of the idols that are holding them. They are lost. The people of Bromley are lost. Elijah was declaring the same thing for the people of Israel. Did they have a form of religion? Yes. Who gave it to them? Yahweh. All our history says we're great. The history of this country would say that we are a Christian nation. The lifestyle of its people declare there is no God. It is through the church the manifold wisdom of God shall be made known to the principalities and the powers. Folks, it is through us that the glory of God is to be revealed to the nations. We need to change ourselves to become more like Elijah. What we need is not to know that there are men and women of God who have power, supernatural power, given by God to do signs, wonders and miracles. We can be encouraged by them, we can be strengthened by them, but what we need to know is this, we need to know the God of Elijah. We need to know him. We need to be transformed by him. We need hearts. I need a heart that is broken for the world that is around. I need a heart that aches for my family. I pray for family members who are unsaved. I pray that their eyes would be open. I pray that their hearts would be open. Here is a man who was so broken that he went to his place of prayer and he said, God, something has got to change. Something has got to change. It cannot stay as it is. It has to be changed. I believe, really, when we go to 1 Kings 17, that it should actually read like this. Now, 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in, Galilee, in Gilead said to Ahab, Enough! That's how I think it should be. Because this is what it is. The guy rose up. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you jump. It did make me laugh inside, actually. Um, inside, he said, enough. Colin has gone up to the Conservative Party conference this week in his position. How we need to be praying for him to be standing up in front of government ministers and saying, enough. Enough. We've had enough of the adultery of our nation. We've had enough of the fornication in our nation. We've had enough of the underage sex that's going on. Not that the government can do anything about that, but the things like abortions and the things that are made so easily available to people. We've had enough about all of the, the, the alcohol that is freely available. We have had enough that the nation has got so corrupted it does not know it's God. We've had enough. And do remember to pray for Colin this week that he might be strengthened. In the midst of darkness, darkness comes upon you. You have to stand as light, and it needs strength 
to stand. These are spiritual powers of darkness that want to hold our nation in captivity. It is time for the people of God to arise. What I see in Elijah is this. He had come to a place where before God, he knew the state of the nation was totally unacceptable before God. I would ask you, as you go away from here today to look at our nation, when you read the newspaper during this week, whether it be national news or local news, when you're speaking to members of your family, when you're thinking about the members of your family, your mums, your dads, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, everybody across your family, in-laws, outlaws, whatever laws, is the state of their lives acceptable before because if the answer is no, this is not good. I don't like what's happening. I don't like the corruption here. I don't like seeing my nieces and nephews who once used to go to church with their parents no longer going to church. I don't like to see my son not attending church. I don't like to see enough. My cry is this, God, you've got to deal with me. I've got to be changed. If I am not changed, how can they be changed? If I am the keystone, to there, moving on with God. I have to be changed. God, you've got to give me a heart. You've got to change my heart. God, I need you. I haven't got to the place of the earnest prayer that Elijah prayed to say, God, it is time for you to close the heavens. We're going to bring an encounter with you to this nation. Maybe we need to start with the earnest prayer. God, I hardly know you, but I must know you. Because you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the beginning and the end. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the mighty one of Israel. You are the one who was, who is, and is yet to come. You are the one who can make a way where there is no way. I need to see you. I need to understand you. My heart needs to be transformed by you. I need to be changed because I need to have a heart for my nation. You've got a heart for the nation. You gave your son and you died for this nation. But I'm just a church attender. Yes, but are you an ordinary human being who can give themselves wholeheartedly to the purposes of God? Because if you are, then it is time for us to arise and to lay hold of the things that God has for us. Thirdly, what was Elijah like? He was an ordinary man. He was a man who prayed earnestly. He was a man who knew God. When we finally, and we have now got there, actually start looking at 1 Kings. 1 Kings 1 says this, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. The nation of Israel, despite their corruptness, had a God, and he was Yahweh, as the Lord, as the Lord the God of Israel. Israel, as a landmass, had a God, and it was Yahweh, the Lord himself. Secondly, this God of Israel was not dead, but he is alive. And thirdly, this was the God that Elijah served. Now, wouldn't we say the same? There is a God over the United Kingdom. He is the Almighty God. He is alive, and I serve him. Can you see there is a problem somewhere? Because we would make those statements sincerely and honestly. But those statements and the way that we are living our lives is not breaking open the nation. There is an awakening that needs to happen. There's a greater understanding. Elijah was a man, and he knew God. He knew. The word in Hebrew for know is this deep sense of intimacy. It is even used sometimes in the more King James versions, the sort of thing that a schoolboy like me might have found amusing, when it said so-and-so went into their tent with a woman, a man, they went into their tent and he knew her. But it wasn't like he just sort of introduced himself. It was obviously that he went to have sex with her. 
But, that was, but that's the phrase. But you see, the understanding of this word to know is to have deep intimacy, deep connection. And so when we're looking at Elijah, he was a man who had a deep intimacy and connection with the living God. Do we have deep intimacy and connection? Let me tell you this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever might believe in him should have everlasting life. That life is the life of Christ imparted to the heart of the believer that the weak, that the ordinary might become extraordinary in God. That is what he is like. Elijah knew this intimacy with God. Let us proclaim this, the United Kingdom has a God. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That includes every nation, every continent. It includes the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom has a God. The people need to be able to say, hey, which God do you serve? We serve the God of the United Kingdom. His name is the Lord God Almighty. Yahweh, as far as you Israelites are concerned, but that's who we're serving. The United Kingdom has a God. Isaiah 45 verse 5 says this, I am the Lord. This is what this God says. I am the Lord. There is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. By definition, God clearly tells to us there, everything else that is worshipped apart from him is an idol. Everything else that is worshipped apart from him is an idol. Because there is only one God in heaven and earth. Are we really convinced that the UK has only one God? Or are we caught up with the ways of the world that start to intimidate us, confuse us, distract us, frustrate us? That, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I go to church on Sundays, yes, but who are you serving? Who are you serving? The UK has a God, and he is alive. He is alive. When we read, after Jesus rose again from the dead, Mary Magdalene and the mother of James went to the tomb. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go and tell his disciples and Peter, He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping, when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. But this is what the Bible says. You see, we can proclaim that he is alive but people can still not believe. We need to move from just proclaiming with our lips. We need to know in our hearts there is a God over the United Kingdom and that this God is alive. Do you remember when the, the angel of God appeared to uh, Gideon in the wine press? The nation of Israel at the time was oppressed by the, the Midianites. They were holding the nation down. Now the reason but because of that was because God was behind it because he was wanting to draw his people back to himself. But as they were there, he was oppressing. The angel of God appears to him and he says, Gideon, don't be afraid. You are a mighty man of valor. Gideon's like, whoa, what's going on here? I don't feel it. I'm, not, I'm the least man in the least tribe. I'm just Mr. Humble Ordinary. Please, woo -hoo. But as the angel starts to speak to him, starts to tell him what he wants him to do, but then Gideon turns to the angel and says, whoa, hang on a second. All this God stuff. Where is the God who has done these miracles? We don't see it around us. Folks, we're very much in that position. We want to see people being healed. We want to see the captives being set free. We come to church, 
but we're still in the position, there's something holding our hearts and holding our minds. And what it's saying is, well, where is this God? Yeah, we have some great times of worship, hallelujah. We're touching onto heaven's throne there. We're, we're reaching out, we're reaching out, and we're being encouraged, bless God, to reach out further and deeper. But then we get away from, well, you know, I prayed for my next-door neighbor. I have prayed for my next-door neighbor who's got serious cancer. I can tell you twice I've prayed, and I know it, and the report has come back. In fact, the last time he was in hospital for eight days afterwards. And I thought to myself, what do I do? Where is God? He knows what he's doing. He's not looking for me to be able to do anything because I can't. Perhaps God is looking for me to realize I really can't do anything. Don't you feel a spiritual charge sometimes? Oh, I've now got a spiritual lift because I prayed for somebody in my office. You didn't, I did, one nil. Trouble is it's true. It's true. We become a religious people that start to elevate ourselves because of what we've done. Get to community group. We're going to share tonight about what we've been reading in the Bible. You know that you haven't read anything. But old Miss Goody Two-Shoes, or Mr. Goody Two-Shoes just down the other end, he's been reading his heart out. You might be humbled, but he could become arrogant. We have to watch our heart. We have to watch our hearts. But you know, the cynicism that was surrounding Gideon, the things that he was dealing with in that situation, surrounds us. We live in a cynical world that says there is no God. Miracles, let me explain how that miracle happened. Let me tell you how this works. Let me tell you this. Just last year, or was it the year before, an ash cloud came up, didn't it? Who would have expected the nations of the Western world to close all of their airports and for every aeroplane to be stopped. And all of the corruption and the, the, not corruption, all the difficulty, the disruption is what I was trying to say, that that caused to business. Who could have said that could happen? I have a Father in heaven who can say, listen, I can do what I want. You want hailstones? I can send them this afternoon. Children of Israel in the middle of a desert. We're fed up with the manna. We're fed up with the manna. We want meat. Even Moses says, I don't know how you're going to feed a million people with meat. God says, the arm of the Lord is not too short. The arm of the Lord is not too short. And he proved it. We have a God in the UK. He is alive. And we need to take courage from that life. It is time for us, just like Elijah, he served this God. It is time for us to serve this God. God says this, Psalm 2 verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. If the United Kingdom belongs to him, and we will describe that as a nation, Although I think we can describe the people groups within the United Kingdom as nations within themselves. But they're on that landmass. The people in your office are a nation to you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. It is time for us to arise, not as fear, not with trembling, but to us to arise with the power of God in our hearts to know him like Elijah did, to accept that we're ordinary people, but to start to become what he did in his life. We need to become people of prayer, not just prayer, earnest prayer. We need to be seeking God. And even if that seeking is to say, God, I don't know you. I need to know you. God, I can't trust you. I need to trust you. God, open my eyes. I need to understand you. We need to begin somewhere. And then we can come to a place where we can really choose to serve him, choose to know him as God, the God who is able to do all things. I'll just finish with this. When I was... Um, band, can we have you come up at this point? We're going to do the uh, Hosanna song, if that's okay. When I was reading this through, I suddenly was taken to Ezekiel 22. And I'd like you to go back and read that chapter yourselves. Ezekiel 22 talks about the sins of Jerusalem. 
And there the prophet Ezekiel is laying before, uh, God is laying before the prophet Ezekiel the sins of the city of Jerusalem. And he talks about the princes and he talks about the people and he talks about the things, how they've been shedding bloodshed. And if you were to go through it, you're looking at all the different sectors of society where whether it be governments or institutions or individuals are doing things that are wrong before God. And he paints this whole picture of what is happening in his city, in the city of Jerusalem. But when you come through to Ezekiel 22, verse 30, God says this. He says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But he says, but I found none. And when I read that, I thought, church, it is time for us to take this very seriously. Very seriously. The reason that we are in the church is to be the people of God. The people who are doing the deeds of God. The people who are coming under his calling and going out to show the broken world that he is alive. That his name is the Lord. That he can be trusted. That's our task. And yet God was saying, in the times of Ezekiel, he went to look for that man or that woman who was taking that role, who was lifting up the nation before him. But it says, I could find no one. I could find no one. If God came to us in Bromley and he was to ask that same question, would he find people standing in the gap? We know he's coming back. We know the stories of the Bible. It is time for us to stop pretending any longer. It is time for us to seek the Lord until he comes. And I want to declare over us as a church that when he comes, he will find a church full of people who are people who are standing in the wall, holding up the arms of the nation so that it won't be that he found no one but he found a people who are ready for his return. We're going to move into communion, but I just wanted Rick to sing this song. And the reason is that as we come to the bridge of this song, it says this, Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. And I think this makes a very suitable song for us to bring as a prayer and our hearts before God and to cry out to him. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.